Happy New Year. The last positive thing I'm going to say today. (laughs) In all honesty, I have to tell you that the message today is not an easy one to hear. And I have not sensed a spiritual battle raging like this in a long time. Uh, I, I received texts this morning and emails from friends from all across the nation, the country, uh, the world, saying, Cam, I'm praying for you today. And all of a sudden I started realizing, yeah, there's something going on. There is a spiritual battle. And so... If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to get them. I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. And today I'm going to talk to you about Mission Impossible. Before we do, I just want us to pause and want us to seek God for this time. Our Father we, we just humble ourselves before you today. We, we acknowledge that we need you so desperately. I know that I am so inadequate. And I, I look to you. I look to your word. I trust your Holy Spirit to be our teacher today. To open our eyes to the truth. To help us to hear what we really need to hear. I do pray, Lord, for your people, God, that you would do that unique work that only you can do in the depths of their being, to turn them fully and completely to you, for those that are here today that have never come to that relationship of faith through Jesus Christ, I pray that today that their hearts would be drawn to you, that you would save souls and bring them into your kingdom. Glorify and exalt your name today. God, help me not to be in the way and to be a distraction. But God, help me to be faithful to your word. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The opening moments of the television show and and movies called Mission Impossible have kind of been etched into the mind of American pop culture. And every episode and every movie uh, begins with an agent receiving a case file in which a message plays detailing a particular mission. And as the mission unfolds, uh, it, it seems like the mission that this agent is being asked to do is impossible. Thus the, the name, Mission Impossible. And of course, you you hear that phrase, your mission, should you choose to accept it, implying that it's optional. Of course, no agent ever rejects or turns down a mission because they didn't, if he did, there wouldn't be a show. And then at the end, there's the very familiar words, this message will self-destruct in five seconds. So an agent receives a message, he is given a mission that seems impossible. Today we're going to talk about an Old Testament agent of God who received a message and was given a mission 
that was humanly impossible. His name was Jeremiah. And when he heard the the nature of the mission, he said, Lord, I think I will respectfully decline this mission. But God says, Jeremiah, it's not optional. It's mandatory. And the message that he received did not self-destruct. In fact, it was preserved for us here in this great prophecy that we're going to look at today. And I want to talk to you about Jeremiah and his mission because I think he's a man for our day. Uh, The Old Testament prophets were real figures living out real historical events. The times and the seasons and the issues that they faced were not unique. In fact, they're the same cycles that repeat over and over throughout human history. Jeremiah lived in a nation very much like ours. He lived in a time very much like ours. He lived in a day when when false religion had so saturated the culture that it seemed impossible to ever bring that nation back to God. And Jeremiah was given the mission of preaching a message of judgment to a nation that had been condemned. And I believe that the similarities between his nation and our nation are striking. If you are at all attuned to the to the character of our culture today, you know that our nation has, is, is under the control, under the domination of a false religion called naturalism. And, you know, there was a time when our nation would, would have considered itself a, supernat- a nation under supernaturalism. We, we believe that there was one God who created the world and was sovereignly in control of, of all things. We would have said we, were, we believe that we're one nation under God. But you see, but we can't say that anymore because they want to take that all out of the Pledge of Allegiance. They want to take it off the coins. We even have, uh, you know, a group of people called Freedom From Religion that wants to uh, remove every semblance, every symbol, every scripture, every cross. They want to eradicate it from culture. And there was a time when we believed that God was God, and he was sovereignly in control. But we've abandoned that, and now we are rapidly becoming a nation of naturalists. It's everywhere. Wherever there's media, that's where it is. Where there's education, that's where it is. Where there's entertainment, there it's there. Everywhere, it's there. Naturalists assume that God exists only in the, in the imagination of religious people. They say that, it's the, that, it's an, that the idea of a God is an irrational superstition that came out of a pre-scientific era that was designed to address the fears and, and irrational thoughts of, of the human heart. But in reality, they say, there is no God. Everything is simply the result of natural processes. Naturalism is is the idea that nature is the only thing that exists uh, and that everything that is came out of unplanned, uh, uh, unconscious processes. There was no mind. There was no purpose. 
It simply happened. And we as humans, we are the purposeless, purposeless end of purposeless processes. We just, oops, we just appeared. And so that is what is taught in the schools and the universities of this nation. And that is what is believed by the students in this nation. Those students become the next generation of educators, politicians, social architects, judges. They, they make their decisions based on a naturalist world view. And ironically, it's a form of atheism that makes nature a monotheistic God. The only God there is, is nature. Nature has created all there is. And, and while not all of them would deny the existence of some God, they're almost all eager to eliminate the God of the Bible. You see, those who believe in the God of the Bible are seen as irrational or dangerous, and they need to be kept out of the public discourse. Uh, those who believe in a biblical God are and because of separation of church and state, we can't allow those people who believe in a biblical God or the Bible to have any same thing to say about education or government or law or social order or morality. The rejection of God is purported to be based on science. It's called for by intellectualism. It's uh, rationalism. It's demanded by freedom and tolerance, and mutual respect. You see, there's no place for anybody saying that there is one God who's in control of all things, who has written one book with all essential truth about life in one place. There's no place for that. That's absolutely intolerant. But the rejection of the biblical God is not intellectual. It's, it's not because of the love of, of science or freedom it is because of the love of sin. You see, if you get rid of the God of the Bible, and you get rid of the Bible, then you get rid of biblical morality. And if you get rid of biblical morality, then you can live however you want without the expectation of some consequence. So, intellectual naturalism really is nothing but hedonism wanting to express its lust in an unbridled way. But listen, anybody with half a brain can look around at the creation of the world and recognize that all that is did not come from nothing. It's, it's absolutely impossible. The complexity, there's so many factors. I mean, that would be a whole message in itself. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, I can scarcely conceive a heart so callous that it feels no awe or a human mind so dull and destitute of understanding as fairly to view the tokens of God's omnipotent power and then turn aside without some sense of wonder and obedience. In other words, how can you look at all exists and not be in awe of the source of it? Jeremiah faced a similar problem. Chapter 5 is one of those sermons that comes directly from God. In other words, this is not Jeremiah's words. This is just Jeremiah telling us what God told him to say. And then I want you to look with me to Jeremiah chapter 5 
beginning in verse 20. And here the word of God says this, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 20. Declare this in the house of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah, saying, Now hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble in my presence? For I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea, an eternal decree, so it cannot cross over it. Though the waves toss, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot cross over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and departed. They do not say in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God, who gives rain in its season, both the autumn rain and the spring rain, who keeps for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. You see, God is is asking the people of Judah, how can you look at my power and my creation and not worship me? That's the simple, simply what he's, he's saying. How can you see the oceans and, and the lands that bound them? How can you look at the rains and the seasons and that per- together produce the, the, the harvest, the fruit, the food that sustains life on the earth? How can you look at all of that working together in perfect harmony and, and not conclude that I am the creator? How, how can you not look at all that and not worship me? Not fear me? If you see my power, how could you not fear me? And you see... They wouldn't honor him as the creator and provider, even though that was clearly visible in creation. But you see, there's more here to it than that. There's an analogy that we need to understand. In in verse 22, he says, For I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea, an eternal decree, so that it cannot cross over it. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot cross over it. See, God has set a boundary for the sea. And it always obeys God. Oh, there may be an occasional tidal wave or a tsunami. But those waters always go back to their ordered place. But, verse 23 says, This people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and departed. They will not be bound. They will not stay within the confines of God's will and purpose. See, they are a rebellious people. They break all the boundaries. This water will stay where I put it, but people, they break all the boundaries. There are 328 million cubic miles of seawater on the earth, covering about 71% of the earth's surface. And, and 97% of all the water on the earth is in our oceans. They weigh 1 quintillion 450 quadrillion tons. An incredible weight. Uh, the average depth of the ocean 
is 12,460 feet. The deepest point is 36,198 feet. It's an incredible thought. If you were to take the, the Pacific Ocean alone and, turn, and make it into a ball, it would have the volume of the moon. All the, all the weight of these waters obey God perfectly. But along comes puny, sinful man whom God could crush like an ant under his shoe and he defies God in every way. Breaks all the boundaries. It's, a, it's an incredible thought here. Man and his fallenness cannot be held in check, either individually or collectively. The sea tosses and it turns, but it obeys. The people, God says, who have far stronger restraints than the sand, they're rebellious. You see, God, see, when we were confronted with God's promises, with God's covenants, with, with God's commands, when we're even com- confronted with God's threats and judgments, what do we do? We defy those boundaries. And that's how the people of Jeremiah's day responded to God. And that's how the people of our day respond to God. And as a result, you see, Jeremiah was given a message that judgment was coming and that it was coming quickly. And indeed, it did come quickly. It came in the prophet's day. He said, judgment's coming in the form of the Babylonians. They're going to come. Their army is going to destroy uh, Jerusalem they're going to destroy the temple. They're going to conquer that, the city. They're going to massacre untold thousands of people. And they're going to carry off the rest into captivity into a pagan land. And Jeremiah preached that message for 42 years through the reign of five kings. And the first king was a man by the name of Josiah. And at the end of his reign, something happened. They found the law hidden in the temple. And they brought it out, and Josiah began to read that to the people. And as a result of that, there was a reformation. There was a revival, a short-lived revival. A prophetess named Huldah shows up, and she says, Listen, this is not going to last. This is, this is man-centered. It's uh, superficial. It's not going to last. And that was absolutely true. A short time after uh, the the end of the king, Josiah, four other kings follow, and they all lead the people right back into their idolatry and pagan practices. It was 42 years Jeremiah is preaching this message, and his message never changed. Kings changed, circumstances changed, but his message never changed. He was always the voice of God in that society as every faithful preacher must be. Listen to me. To be a faithful preacher, you must preach what God has said. All of what God has said, not just the selected parts that you want to hear, but all of what God has said, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard to hear. The faithful preacher has to preach what God says. But at every turn in 
Jeremiah's ministry, people confronted him. They intimidated him. They threatened him. They tried to get him to change his message. But but Jeremiah would not relent. And it cost him. He brought great persecution and conflict and misery into his life. He was known as the weeping prophet. It seems to me that everywhere we turn in our culture today, that there is pressure, that there is confront, there is intimidation, people wanting us to change our message. Just the headline from last, this last week. Headline from this last week, quote, New Church of England Archbishop believes Christian views on sexuality should be adapted to fit the culture. And it's, it's, it's that this week and be the next thing the next week. It wasn't easy. Jeremiah didn't cave to the pressure. Even so, think about this. His preaching never deterred the idolatry of that nation. His preacher never stopped the slide. It never eliminated the judgment. He never saw an impact on a national level in 42 years of preaching. It was a mission impossible. But he was faithful. Even in a mission that was impossible. And I see so many parallels between Jeremiah's time and our time and faithful preachers today. See, at some point, well, let me say this. There are some people that say, look, well, we've gone through revivals. We've had some revivals. There are other people who say, well, look, the gospel is going out everywhere. It's going out in media. I mean, it's going out in, you know, the radio, through TV, through uh, Internet. It's going out everywhere. The gospel is going out. Yes, it is. But you know what? It's not making any difference. So what do you mean? It's not turning our culture. Are there people being saved? Yes. But as, as far as turning our culture as a whole, no. It's not. And we have come to a place in our time that parallels the time of Jeremiah. Uh, we have to ask the question, well, how do we approach a nation on the brink of judgment? Well, there are some, there are some parallels. There are three of them, and I want to share them with you. See, like Jeremiah, we have a divine mission. We have a divine mission. Here's the, here's the first thing that you need to understand. We have a divine mission that is predestined by God. Let's go back to chapter 1, to Jeremiah's calling, and look at verse 4. And he says here, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, in just 11 Hebrew words, God gives Jeremiah his biography. And long before Jeremiah was ever conceived in his 
mother's womb, probably before the foundation of the world, God chose and appointed Jeremiah to be a prophet to preach in the very day in which he did. His message extended beyond Judah to the nations. And it's still even extending here today. Wherever the prophet is read, his message is going, going out. And God predetermined that this man would be in this unique place and this unique time to preach the message that he did. Now, Jeremiah's personality is very powerful, his human personality. Yet his personality doesn't explain the power of his preaching or his ability to faithfully endure despite all the persecution and resistance that he received. He is so humanly weak that he can't stop weeping. And yet he is so unassailably strong that he will not yield or compromise. He has, he has been endowed with power from on high to survive the rejection that he experienced all of his life. See, when there's, a, when there's a crisis, people look for a program. But, but God looks for a man. When there's a crisis, people look for some kind of system to fix things. But God looks for someone who is yielded to him. God looks for that person. And that person... In this case, God began with a baby. That baby was Jeremiah. And he formed Jeremiah. He prepared Jeremiah while he was still in his womb, his mother's womb. He gave him all the human capabilities that he needed to face the situation which he faced. And then when he was grown and he responded to God, he, he endowed him with all the spiritual capabilities that he needed to, in order to carry out the, the, the mission that God had given to him. And let me tell you something. The same is true of you. God designed you in your mother's womb. He's the one who gave you all your human capabilities. He's the one who has called you out of darkness, made you a part of his kingdom, and he has endowed you with all the, the power, all the ability that you need in order to carry out the mission that he's called you to be, even if it's a difficult, maybe it's a possible mission. That's true of you. You see, here's, but here's Jeremiah's response, verse 6. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I'm a youth. Jeremiah says, Hey, you're looking the wrong direction here, God. I'm inadequate. I can't do this. It's impossible. I, I, I'm just a young. I, I don't know how to talk. I don't know how to do what I'm supposed to do. You say, Well, how did he overcome this inadequacy? Well, It became clear to him that God says, I have predestined you for this position. I've designed you. I put you here. And Jeremiah came to the understanding of that and embraced his mission. And by the way, anyone who does not have a sense of, of destiny a predestination from God in service is never going to be spiritually effective. 
See, most people in the church today have no sense of divine mission. We're just kind of bouncing from job to job, from event to event, from activity to activity. And that's the way we live. That's the way we raise our children. There's no sense of, of an overarching divine mission that we have a place in God's plan and God's kingdom. We have no sense of a divine mission that we've been predestined to. But listen, God says, I'm calling you to fulfill the great mission. We call it the great commission. We've been called to fulfill that mission. But you know what we say? We say, well, God, I think I'm going to decline that mission. You see, I'm not adequate for that. I couldn't, I couldn't ever do that. I, I'm just, I'm not, I just not, don't have the ability. Now listen, if, if God called you to it, he's prepared you for it. You have the ability to do it. It's just that what you're doing is saying, God, I really can't do your mission. I'm kind of on my mission. I'm I'm living my life. I've got things going, and I don't have time to serve you. I I mean, you know, it's great. I think all that's that's wonderful if you got going, but, man, see, i got this stuff going. And today, you know, Pastor Travis... He's asking, say, we need volunteers. We need people to serve. We need people to serve. God says, I, want, I need people to serve. And one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, is, where are our priorities? I mean, are we really going to take up the mission that God has called us to? Or are we going to, you know, we're going to say, sorry, God, can't do that. You see, Jeremiah knew that he had been called by God before he was born. He'd been designed by God in his womb. He'd been separated from the world, and he was appointed to serve. And that's what Jeremiah did. You see, we have a divine mission that has been predestined by God. We have a divine mission that is provided for by God. Jeremiah said, I don't know how to speak but God says in verse 7, don't, don't, don't say I'm a youth. Because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. No, educators tell us that the, the greatest fear that humans have is, is of public speaking. And that's due in large part because oftentimes we don't know what we're going to say or we're afraid that what we've got to have to say is not very important. And many times that's true. Some of the people who do most public speaking have the least to say. But when you have the most important message in the world from God, then that hesitation has a tendency to diminish. You see, people on the brink, when you see people on the brink of being consumed in a house fire, you don't sit back and say, well... I think I'm going to have to consider whether or not I should yell fire and grab someone. Or how should I say that? Fire, 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 or fire! I mean, how should I say that? You, you, you're not thinking that when, you're, when you see someone in danger. You just, in the passion of the moment, you act. Right? And see, and God's saying, listen, Jeremiah, you don't have to come up with something. 
You have to come up with things to say. I'm going to give you the very words that you need to say. I'm going to send you the very places that you need to go. It's amazing. I mean, think about a teacher teaching uh, in Bible fellowship. What, what does God do? I mean, God hands you, hands you a Bible. What's in there? His words, right? Then they hand you a quarterly that outlines everything in there, right, that you need to say, all the ways that you could do it. I mean, what more could you ask for? I mean, God always gives us what we need, doesn't he? He provides for it in all kinds of ways. And God says, Jeremiah, I'm going to provide for you. We have a divine mission that is also protected by God. Verse 8, he says, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Listen, when you speak for God, you are going to face opposition. You're going to face antagonism and, and resistance and persecution. But listen, you don't have to worry because God is with you in the midst of that. Does that mean that nothing bad will ever happen to you? No. But it means that you are protected by God. When you're, when you're doing what God wants you to do, friend, you're the best place you can be. And that's exactly what happened. For 42 years, people hated what Jeremiah had to say, and they hated him for saying it. Yet God protected him. That's the way it is for everyone who's on mission with God. You know, God has had to say that to every one of his servants, his most powerful servants. He says, don't be afraid. He said that to Abraham. He said to Moses, to Joshua, Daniel, to Mary, to Peter, to Paul. He says it to all of his servants. He says it to us. Don't be afraid. Listen, do what I ask you to do. We, we have a divine mission that's protected by God. We have a divine mission that's empowered by God. Look at verse 9. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Jeremiah felt that he felt like he was just a young nobody, unskilled in oratory, and, and, and the divine answer is don't worry about it. I'm going to give you the words to say. I'm going to protect you in the midst of the rejection as you speak the truth. And he says, but you need to know this. The words that, you, that come out of your mouth, they are going to first, now look at this, they're going to pluck up and break down. They will destroy and overthrow, and then they will build and plant. Do you understand that's the way it always is? God's word first plucks up and breaks down. It destroys and it overthrows. What does it destroy and overthrow? It destroys the lies that, in, that hold us in bondage. The philosophies, the ideologies. It plucks them up. It, it, it pulls them out of place. It, it, it takes their power away. It exposes them. It, it frees people. And, and listen, it's hard. It's hard to hear. It's violent. It seems difficult, it seems offensive, it seems hard, but we must speak the truth in order to destroy the lies that can condemn people to hell. 
And we have to speak that truth. It may not be easy, but we have to do it. And then, you know what happens? Then God builds. And, and, the, and, the, and you see the reality of that in a very practical, physical way. What happened to the people of, in, 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 excuse me, in Israel? They had to go through the captivity. Everything was destroyed. Their way of life, everything was taken from them. They were captives in a foreign land. Everything was destroyed before they come after 70 years to the place where they say, okay, God, what do you want to do? And out of that came a remnant of people became known as Israel. And out of every group of people, there's always a remnant. But, but, but the word of God has to go forth and it destroys and it overthrows and then it builds and it plants. See, we, we live in a nation in crisis. We, we, have been, we have been abandoned by God. We've been turned over to our immorality. We've been turned over to our homosexuality, and now we're, we're turned over to a reprobate mind. You say, what's a reprobate mind? It's a mind that's no mind at all. It's a mind that doesn't work. You say, what do you mean? Well, take a look. We live in a culture where people now think that men have menstrual cycles and that they can have babies. That, that's, that's how ridiculous. That's a reprobate mind. How do you explain that kind of thing? That the think that men are women and women are men. I mean, this is a reprobate society. We've been turned over to that. It's, it's, it's gobbling up our nation. It's just going to destroy us. Judgment's coming. We need to hear this. And you see, this, is, this, is, this brings us to the second parallel here. We have a direct message. People have got to hear the direct truth. We can't pussyfoot around. We can't tiptoe around issues. Jeremiah didn't do that. He didn't soft sell it. He didn't spend his time trying to avoid controversy and make everybody happy. He didn't say, I'm going to never talk about sin or things that offend people. He preached against sin wherever it manifested itself in whatever way it occurred, and he paid for it. He was threatened, beaten, put in stocks, put in prison, and thrown into a pit to die. It cost him. In chapter 2 and verse 12, he says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder, be very desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You know what that is? That's false religion. They've turned away from the fountainhead of life, which is God, and they've turned to false gods, which are like a, a, a cistern, a, just a big rock that's been hollowed out, but it's cracked, and it just collects dirt and animal bones and filth and holds no water. You, you've, you, you've, you've turned your, your water from your home, from your fountain, uh, you're out here in the backyard with a cracked bowl. That's where you've gone. And if you're, a, if you're going to be a faithful prophet, 
If you're going to be faithful to God's word, you must confront false religion for what it really is, wherever it is. This is not a time for tolerance. This is not a time for embracing everybody and saying, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you follow your heart. Listen, this world is full of damning false religion. And I have been accused of being intolerant many times. And I am. Of course I am. I hope I'm as intolerant as God is. I hope I'm as intolerant as the Bible is. But listen, because you see, these things damn people to eternal hell. We are talking about real people, real souls that are going to die and spend eternity in torment. And we have to look at those people and we have to, that has to be part of our motivation. We have to be willing to tell them the truth. You know, a nation facing judgment needs a direct message. And that's what Jeremiah did. I don't have time to tell you all the ways he, he, he did that. He, he, he confronted spiritual leadership, the false prophets, uh, the people that were abusing uh, religion. He confronted their immorality. He confronted uh, their false religion. He confronted um, uh, their dishonesty. Here, here's one if you want to. Are you weary of people lying to you or in power? This is what he says in Jeremiah 5 and verse 1. He says, Roam to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and look now and take note and speak in her open squares. And if you can find a man, if there is one who does justice, who seeks truth, then I will pardon her. For although they, for although they say as the Lord lives, surely they fall swear, false, swear falsely. What? God says, God's saying, I will, listen, if you can find one politician that tells the truth, I will relent from my judgment of this nation. That's what he's saying. It sounds so much like our society, doesn't it? Corrupt religion, false religion, moral corruption, dishonesty everywhere, the rejection of the scriptures. And in chapter 13, God gives us a very visual illustration of what was happening in the nation. And, it, and like so much in Jeremiah, it's pretty, pretty rough. It's pretty straightforward. But he, he, he says, Jeremiah, go buy yourself a pair of underwear. Put them on and don't wash them for many days. Now, you've heard of washing wear. Well, this is wear and don't wash. And, and Jeremiah's wearing these underwear for, for a long time. And he's walking around, you know, smelling like Pepe Le Pew. And, and then God says to him, okay, I want you to take those. I want you to go to the river Euphrates and, and hide, those, hide those dirty underwear in the crack of a rock. It's a 200-mile trip. 200 miles he goes to the Euphrates River. He takes those dirty underwear, sticks them in the rock, and he comes back. After many days, God says, listen, Jeremiah, I want you to go back there and get those underwear. 200-mile trip. He goes back, and when he gets there, you know what he finds? They're pretty much useless. I mean, they're just corroded. They're just falling apart. There's nothing left, hardly. Just crumbs. 
He brings it back. He lays it down in front of me and says, this is our nation. This is our nation. And, and God says, listen, those underwear, that's a picture. You know, underwear is very intimate apparel, right? You wear it next to your body. And God says, this nation I took to myself. I had the most intimate relationship with them. I let them into my very presence. I, I let them know my heart and my mind. I gave them everything I, I am. I, I, you were like a, a wife to me. I knew you intimately. But you became foul and dirty. And so much so that I had to separate myself from you. And now the separation has come so, so, so finally there's nothing left. All that's left is judgment. Judgment. And that's, where, that's the nation. And I think you, you can see the, the similarities between us, between America. We started out a Christian nation, as we call it. There was a lot of good. We had a great relationship with God, but now... God has almost been removed from our nation. And someday God's going to bring the dirty underwear and lay it in a pile in front of us and say, listen, there's nothing left. We must be on the verge of a holocaust. We must be on the verge of a great judgment in our nation. I don't know what it is. God's not giving me any uh, revelation on, it, on that. Only revelation I get is out of the Bible. But listen, it's a picture of our nation. And God calls us to recognize that we have a divine mission that has been predestined by God, that has been provided for by God, that has been protected by God and empowered by God to make known the truth. And, and we have been given a, the, the responsibility of giving to our nation a direct message of being just upfront with them about the truth, telling them the truth. And, and there's, there's, the last thing is he says we have a deep mourning. I don't have time to talk about that, but let me just say this. We never want to come to a place in our lives in dealing with a, a sinful nation where we become hard and where we become insensitive and where we become calloused. Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. When he saw the nation about to be destroyed, like Jesus, he wept over it. We ought to be a people that weeps over our nation. We ought to be a people that are praying for our nation and weeping over it. Who knows what God can do? Who knows what God can do? God can do great things, but listen, we never want to be people that become callous because of all the ugly stuff that we see. And let me tell you, that is the greatest tendency we face sometimes when we, in our righteousness and trying to do what's right is for us to become, oh, I hate that stuff. Yes, we do, but we can't hate those people. They are our mission field. They are our mission field. We need, to, we need to be up front. We need to tell, give them a direct message. But we need to tell them about the, about the other mission impossible.
You know that mission? That mission when Jesus Christ left heaven, came to this earth, lived as a man, and then went to the cross and took upon himself all the sin of the world and then rose from the dead. He did the impossible. He did the impossible. He makes it possible for us to have eternal life, to be redeemed from the judgment. Don't forget that mission. And let's proclaim it. Let's pray. Our Father.